It's called being funny. You should try it sometime. Oh, really? You want to uh, you want to do that podcast thing we do? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Today is Sunday, July twelfth, two thousand fifteen, and this is episode one hundred twenty-three of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mister Andrew Callett. Hello, Jerry. How you doing, sir? Happy Sunday to you. Likewise, I'm good. I'd be much better if the weekend weren't almost over. You know, they really need to be like six days long. Completely agree with that. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. It's, you know, as I get older, sadly, it seems like it takes me a day or two to really sort of decompress enough to really start enjoying the weekend, and then I got to go back to work. Exactly. It's sad, but such right. is life. Yep. Only, uh, you know, only another 25 to 30 years till retirement. <laughs> Something to look forward to. First thing, uh, first things first. The opinions we express on this podcast are ours, and do not represent those of our employer, past, present, or future. That's true. So, uh, anyhow, first uh, first story we have for you this evening comes from the Bromium blog. And uh, it, this is a follow-on to a story we talked about last week, all of uh, four days ago, I believe, related to the hacking team hack. And as I predicted, there is a whole lot of horribleness coming out of this breach, and I do think it's going to continue for some time. So this... Well, is it horribleness, or is it helping us defend ourselves? Well, it's horribleness... In the you know in in the perspective that attackers are, are are quickly consuming the strategies and tactics that were developed by hacking team into their own stuff. So the good news is, I guess, is that you know now we're seeing the light. This stuff is seeing the light of day, and and we'll have an opportunity to defend ourselves. But as I said last time, I think our job is about to get a lot harder. Fair enough. Carry on. So. Anyhow, uh, this this particular article is a kind of a high-level decomposition of the remote access Trojan that hacking team is using, and as they you know as they said, there's there's nothing like super innovative in you know in in the the rat. It does have versions for all of the major platforms like Windows Phone. Uh, Apple iOS, Windows 32, Windows 64, BlackBerry, Symbian, Android, macOS, Linux. Um, you know, no Amiga OS, I guess, so you're okay there. Uh, see, that was a joke. And no one laughed. God. So, um, so yeah, it, it, uh, it has all of the normal features that you would expect. And then a couple of... of uh, I suppose innovative ones like the ability to record uh, Skype conversations, which apparently is, uh, is is something that's not all that common. Uh, but in addition to all the normal functionality that you would expect, like stealing your contacts out of uh, Outlook and recording sounds through the microphone and grabbing uh, pictures from the webcam and also apparently stealing your Bitcoin wallets which apparently is very important for uh, intelligence agencies these days. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, the, just, the, just the general stuff, being able to monitor your instant messaging. and, and Well, in all fairness on, on the Bitcoin, is it about being able to steal or being able to peek into? Well, it depends on who you ask, because there were just a couple of, uh, what are they, DEA agents who... <laughs> Hey, that's true from from Silk Road. Yes. Yeah. So I could I could see a in the logic of a law enforcement agency wanting to be able to see what somebody had in digital currency as part of their investigation. Oh, I, not, I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I just a little bit. Ah. So uh, so anyway, it did 
it also had some some interesting. I don't know uh, if these were necessarily innovative evasion techniques, but they they appeared to be a little innovative to me in the way that they tried to hide themselves from uh, from being monitored. You know, so it, it looked uh, it, it had some special routines as it pertains to reading and writing uh, into different processes. So if uh, it basically is trying to avoid analysis, I suppose. And uh, if it sees, if, if it believes it's being analyzed, it won't, won't do what it's intending to do. Um, but again, you know, that, oh, they also made a comment that there was apparently some, uh, some work underway to, uh, to get it to persist through a UEFI infection, which is, was totally awesome. Not apparently not complete. Uh, and they the blog here kind of points that out that there was also some kernel mode rootkits uh that they're they're not talking about here. But you know again I think this is gonna be just a treasure trove for both defenders and for the bad guys. Uh but my thought as I read this is okay, we have an opportunity here. I want a neutral third party to go circa two weeks ago with everybody's security technology that should have a chance of catching this. Set it up and show me who actually detected the entire gambit of what Hacking Team had running. Then I'll think of you as potentially a highly effective endpoint security tool. We could or, call or it in- CyberUL, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not even I should I should admit that, not just endpoint, but you know, in line. Because here we have we have we've now been handed to us in essence, an incredibly robust hacking toolkit. Now, it was developed by a commercial operation as opposed to an illicit commercial operation uh, or a foreign government, but everybody says they stop unknowns. Here's a whole suite of unknowns. Show me who in the industry would have stopped this stuff. That's a great point. I, I really like that that idea because you know what one of the things that's going to happen probably starting next week is you're going to have um you're going to have have security companies holding webinars showing how they block you know how they block this malware yeah now after now the yeah exactly now right. right um that's why i'm saying circa, circa two weeks ago i i, uh, I agree because everybody comes out of the woodwork, just like you said, trumpeting, we protect against hacking team or, you know, attack of the week after the fact. So, yeah. Yep. And if we're not getting to the point where we've got some technologies that really can fight this stuff without us having to know about it, we're going to continually get our ass handed to us. Uh, it's true. Well, and, and especially as these more sophisticated techniques kind of permeate out into you know out into general use yeah. right and which which has been my concern for quite some time and and so kind of carrying on to the next story which comes from the register we talked last week that, that there was a zero day a flash zero day and also a windows privilege escalation zero day uh, adobe did a as, as you mentioned they pulled out some heroic efforts and patched it but Apparently, there have been two more Flash Zero Days uh, since then. Um, I think one was discovered yesterday and one uh, early today, or I, I'm not exactly sure of the timing, but neither of them are patched. And yeah. apparently, at least one of these can escape uh, Chrome, the Chrome Sandbox. That's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty powerful. Yeah. yeah. And, and I fear people are going to get confused. They're going to see this and think, oh, I, I just patched for that. We're fine. Right. There are three distinct CVEs here. Now, I Thus su- far. Thus far. Well, it, it, again, it's going to probably be a fountain of horribleness for some time. <laughs> I mean, who knows what else is in there? Well, but think of the flip side. What you know, Depending on how widespread this particular code base was, depending on um, how often it was sold and used, there's a whole bunch of people out there who are now having – their functionality they were depending on to hack into things get completely screwed. Yeah. Yep. In theory, right? Assuming that's true. Uh, people patch and whatnot. They're 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 losing a bunch of zero days and a bunch of capabilities right here. Now, that may be a good or a bad thing depending on who's using it and if you support their activities or not. But um 
Yeah. You know, I, I, so just to take a little bit of a detour, I, I, I'm used about this on, on Twitter a little bit, but last week we talked about, uh, I, th- I don't think we included the story, but there was also disclosed last week along with that flash uh, zero day, there was a Windows privilege escalation zero day. And, um, you know, I got to wondering, wh- what's the practical use of a Windows privilege escalation zero day if your targets are largely individuals? Well, that is that a stated goal of an individual for a hacking team as opposed to a, to an organization? The, the, the code base has lateral movement capabilities in it, which certainly would lend itself to privilege escalation uh, leveraging. I guess my where I'm at is it... Um, I, and maybe this is more on on the uh, getting away from law enforcement and more to towards the intelligence use of the the tool. But you know, thinking narrowly, I guess I've been thinking kind of narrowly about the law enforcement case. You know, where, where there probably isn't a great reason for the FBI to hack into uh, you know uh, a con- you know a corporation, <laughs> I guess. Really, really, you think that? Uh, well, maybe I'm naive. I suppose. <laughs> Well, you may be right, uh, but the flip side is your hacking team, and you got the capability. Why not throw it in the code base? And if they don't use it, they don't use it. Well, obviously, you're right because that's what they did. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, if I th- if I'm thinking like a product manager, <laughs> right? Yeah. Re- remove a sales objection. A, <clears throat> adjacent markets, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, we, you know, it'll be interesting to see where where this goes. Um, you know, God, we talked about this a little bit last time. Uh, there's these aren't patched yet, right? And they're already in exploit kits, and that's phenomenal. It's it's a horrible, terrible thing for uh, for the average user. And you know, I'm I, I guess I'm growing more and more convinced that we just need to drop uh, Flash like a bad habit. Well, that is going around the Twitter InfoSec echo chamber like wildfire right now, and I agree. However, uh, at least in some places of employment, uh, there are a number of tools that require Flash, including a number of famous security tools require Flash <laughs> to run their web consoles. Same with Java. That's true. Right. That's true. Uh, you know, uh, Imperva, for instance, if you want to go hit the Imperva uh, web application firewall console, you need Flash. So how you know? So you know one of the one of the other bits of advice going around is to is to set it so it's clicked to you know you have to you have to click to activate it. But I got to tell you, at least from an end user perspective, I wonder how beneficial that is because you know if yeah. you if you go if you're if you're directed to some enticing content. And it says you know you got to activate it in order to see uh, you know the funny cat video. Are you really gonna <laughs> not activate it? No, you're right. I you know this goes back to phishing 101 kind of stuff, right? Um, I think it's really there for IT professionals to have a, a chance at not getting hit by a drive-by. Which you know it does have some utility. I, I don't. Mean to be it's, it, overly yeah. critical, I suppose. No, you you bring up a great point, which is that most users are just going to click through the warning and click through the the. This is not a valid SSL cert, you know, all those sorts of things. I just click right on through. Yeah. Yes, I accept the user agreement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and speaking of click to activate, your mom is a click to activate. Let me oh tell you. boy! Really? That had to go there, huh? That's getting cut from the show. So, um, so moving on to our next story, which comes from uh, Tenable. Uh, this is a, kind of an interesting and controversial position to take. The title is "Lessons to Learn from the OPM Breach." So, uh, so this actually was released a couple of days ago, uh, before what happened in the next story happened. So, the 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 point of this story is. One of the you know one of the macro level takeaways, and I'm not sure that I agree with this. Right, I'm just parroting what's in the article. One of the macro level takeaways from the OPM incident is that OPM uh, started taking information security seriously. They brought in people. They found a 
um, you know, they, f- they found a breach in progress and now there's calls for the resignation of the person who, you know, kind of started that ball down, down the road. And so the lesson to be learned is, hey, you shouldn't go looking for breaches because, you know, it's going to shorten your career in the government, which, man, that's a really cynical I have position. seen that exact thought process before in a CIO's office of a Fortune 50 company, a private organization, well, public organization, but not government. Uh, very, very similar thought process. If I don't know about a breach, I don't have to deal with it, and I'm not held responsible for it. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying it's not just government. I've seen it elsewhere. Yeah. And and there's something, you know, th- th- there is some rationale to that. There's a couple of counterpoints to it. If, you know, your organization, my organization, I can assure you my CEO does not know about the tactical day-to-day of our InfoSec organization. No. no Rightly or they wrongly, they, they don't. Right. So it comes down to who do you hire and how do you empower those folks in the positions to run those organizations that really come down to how effective your InfoSec organization may be. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that the director or the CEO isn't responsible because they set the tone and they set the budget and they set the, the, you know, the, the political machinations within the organization for the balance of risk. But it's tough to... With what we know right now, it's tough to blame, put the blame solely at the feet of the OPM director. I would look at you know who ran the Ivasic team, who was making the risk decisions, um, you know, find out more about exactly how the OPM hack came about, and and given the vectors of infection, were there decisions made around those vectors? You know, is this a complacency within the organization? Is this you know what what is it at the root cause? that truly allowed them to get hacked like this. And then from there, decide who is um, at fault. However, this is how the government works, right? This is politics. This is not, you know, rationality. Yeah, agreed. So so in this article, they, uh, you know, keeping in mind the kinds of businesses that Tenable are in, they do recommend that rather than scapegoating your, you know, your executive, you should instead implement a number of recommendations, which I think some of them are good. And I do want to talk about them in the aggregate. Uh, their first one is that, uh, the, I'll just quote them, right? The first principle of a resilient security program is to deliver is to discover all your assets as a baseline and as an inventory against which to track activity basically you can't protect what you don't know exists and apparently although i still haven't read anything definitive about this there's a lot of rumor and innuendo that apparently some of some of this may have been related some of the opm Disaster may have been related to un, uh, you know, assets that weren't being managed or because they didn't know about them. Um, you know, the next recommendation is to implement continuous patching and vulnerability scanning, not just periodic checks. Uh, you know, uh, next one is make sure you have the right technologies in place for your environment and things like application whitelisting, IDS, segmentation, data encryption, you know, and those sorts of things. Next is users should only have access to what they need to do their job, so least privilege. Uh, they point out that you know OPM already had a plan in place to implement two-factor authentication, so they're you know they're moving towards that. But uh, apparently, there was also some discussion that the systems administrators commonly use root to access systems. Again, we don't know that that actually played a material part in. The breach. So, uh, then watch your network for uh, watch your network traffic in real time for anomalies. Now, all of that stuff sounds awesome, right? But let's put ourselves into the into the shoes of an incoming CISO or the director of the OPM, and you know what? Almost no company is going to be doing all this stuff well, right? You cannot on a dime. Just start doing all this stuff. That's a five-year plan. 
for for an organization inside of the OPM. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry, I, I don't mean to be that cynical about it, but that's that's a long cycle to get there. At least. Because all of these things are not just about getting it stood up. It's about having a process in place. It's about having policy in place. It's about having the gear in place. Um, there's a ton that goes into to all of this. Just getting patching and vulnerability scanning done on a regular continuous basis is incredibly difficult. I'm not saying it's not worthwhile, but it is – you know, that involves everything. Okay, let's just talk about patching just for a moment. Think about that means. It means understanding every operating system in your environment – Making sure that the operating system patches are coming down on a regular basis. Making sure you don't have any uh, operating systems that are beyond end of life and not getting patches. If you do, you've got to upgrade those to current supported. Then understanding every third-party software in your environment. Making sure you're patching those somehow. Understanding anything in your environment you cannot patch or is already end of life as a third-party software and upgrading beyond that. Uh, that's a huge, huge task. And how many uh, devices does the OPM have? Do we know offhand? I, I, I've not heard any counts. I gotta believe it's probably quite a few, but I don't know. So that you know, but you're you're right on. This is, I think it's easy for us to criticize, uh, but you know, you, well, I think the defense that that she could have had is this is the plan we were executing against. Now, it's not going to matter in her case because people are for blood. But I think only thing we can do is what we can do. And if we lose our jobs, well, that's the risk of doing this job, right? It's, it's If you want to be at a senior level in, in security, there's a very good chance you're going to have to fall on your sword after a breach. Well, that's, that's a great point. It's a very good point. You know, and maybe that means, much like CEOs, other executives have golden parachutes. Maybe senior security folks might end up trying to negotiate those in the future because of the risk inherent with the position. I don't know if it'll be successful, <laughs> but <laughs> worth worth trying. Uh, you know, that, that's all I can say is if if she were, you know, their team were on the process of identifying their problems and fixing them, it's a little unfair for her to be fired. Uh, I don't. I don't disagree. I don't you know. disagree. But this may be why the average CISO ten years, two years. Yeah, yeah. But you know, just to play that, to play off that for a second. You know, you never that that kind of means that a CISO or CSO never really has, or well, often doesn't really have an opportunity to kind of see quote it through. You know, and and so you end up with, uh, at least in my experience, a lot of half-finished stuff. Because the next CISO comes in with their agenda, right? And they have yeah. a different view of priorities, and they have a different different relationship with the vendors, and they have you know whatever they have a different they're they're getting a different set of of uh, actions from their board or, or whatever, right? And and so uh, so it's kind of always being yanked on on the end of the line and and so you you know you're you're the one that comes in next and you got all this half done stuff and nothing's really well protected so you know yet again you have to take you got to take the bull by the horns and prioritize to the extent you can you can't all this stuff that they recommend in this blog is great advice I'm not going to argue with any of it but you know <laughs> You're just not going to get it done in in uh, in a short period of time, and and so that's you know this is a this is a, a a maturation process, and like you said, I think it's a little. Um, I think it, I, I, you know okay you know what let's move on to the next story because I think it I think it uh, makes more sense over here. The next story comes from Ars Technica, and I think this happened on Friday. The OPM director resigned. Uh, apparently under pressure. So what happened is uh, originally the story was that there were, I think, 4 million people uh, affected. And uh, on Thursday of last week, that estimate was put up to 21.5 million people with uh, with some additional you know, detail around what was stolen, including those uh, uh, 
I forget the form number, the SF-86s and 85s uh, background check forms, which I guess we were kind of, everybody kind of knew they were stolen, but there was no official admission until last Thursday. Uh, And then on Friday, she stepped down saying that she needed to step, she felt it was in the best interest to step aside and let someone else come in and, and, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of speculation. Was she, you know, did she really resign? Was she fired? Whatever. She's gone. Or, or was, were people saying that the cries to get her out were a distraction from actually dealing with the issue? Right, Uh, wrong, or indifferent? uh, Absolutely. I I mean, look, she, her life had, has, had to have been miserable. (laughs) Yeah, for for quite some time, and I do think has been a distraction. Whether or not she's at fault, and I think a lot of that is because of the, the grandstanding politicians that have that are kind of a effect of life in that kind of venue. So, mm-hmm. uh, but but anyway, I, you know, I kind of railed on this with you know on, on Twitter. I think that this is not the solution to the problem, right? And I and I do think that. You know, many of us in information security land are going to, you know, put into our uh, into our FUD presentations for our management teams. Hey, look, here's a you know here's a case where an executive was directly fired for you know you can you can directly link her firing or resigning with you know being hacked. Not a lot of uh, of other cases like that. You know, we had well, the Target one, which kind of was tenuous, but anyway. When you say this isn't the way to solve the problem, uh, don't you think, though, that at some level, some executives should be held accountable for poor security in the environment? Ah, uh, yes. However, I think, you know, he, here's the the thing that concerns me with this is that, you know, as I understand it, at least, this has not been a secret. The, the poor security practices at OPM have not been a secret. For a long time, and as I understand it, their internal auditor, the OIG, has been dinging them for a long time. So, under you know, so yes, it, you know, the executives should be held responsible to that. But you kind of have a fool me once, shame on you; fool me twice, shame on me. Kind of situation here, where at least as I understand it, Congress is responsible for the oversight of these kinds of. Um, you know these kinds of of departments, and you know my question is where is the oversight right I mean, so let 's pull it out of a public, uh, a government agency and bring it back to a a corporation and this situation happens. who do you hold accountable well exactly right so so think about think about this you know so uh you you you're a larger largish public company you've got a board of directors you've got a ceo you've got a cio a ciso and all you know all that normal normal stuff right and i don't it doesn't matter what kind of business you're in you know there's a there's an audit committee of the board and the audit committee gets reports year after year after year that information security is pretty bad it's not being addressed well right but they don't make any changes and then there's a huge hack and everybody starts pointing at the you know the CEO or the CIO or the CISO. And yes, you can say you know they did a terrible job, fine, right? But who's pointing back at the board that didn't do anything? They were being told for years that something that bad stuff was going on, that there was there wasn't the right level of investment, there wasn't the right level of attention, and then they got hacked. And you know how does the board get to say, "Oh, you know, we're not, we're we're not responsible for that at all." I don't think well, they can. That's, that's a fair question, uh, which is, I think, part of why we're seeing, in theory, everybody keeps talking about how infosec security is becoming a board level concern. So, in that case, you know, the board is say, is getting these reports saying that infosec is a problem. How does that exhibit itself? Does that exhibit itself, uh, you know, in that the CEO would be given more budget direction uh, to to direct towards that, more staffing, hiring more experienced people? Or, how how you know? Or, or fire them? I mean, that's yeah, sure replace sure. Um, 
but you know, just playing this out, you're the CEO in that role. The board saying, "Wow, we we are unhappy." You know, going diff- a different, playing this out a different way. We are unhappy with the level of infosec uh, reporting that we're getting back from the audit committee. Go fix it. And I think at that point, then the CEO then you know has to look at what is he holding back. Is it a cultural thing? Is it a risk acceptance thing? Is it a a budget thing? You know, there's there's a lot of things that can cause it. Yeah, I. I- I guess my point is, I just don't. I think it's it's wholly unfair to lay all like, and you already said it, right? To, to lay all of this blame at her feet, at, at uh, Mrs. Archuleta's feet. I just, is I think there there's the a lot of blame to go around here. But is will this exhibit itself? I should say, will this play out now with more directors slash CEOs caring more about this issue because they, rightly or wrongly, their jobs are on the line. I'm skeptical. Because I can tell you one of the biggest problems I see with really doing InfoSec well is having different departments work well together. And the CEO or the director has the ability to make those calls when peers can't. Yeah, that's true. You know? So you want to implement two-factor authentication for talking to your most critical applications and the business guys say, no, that's too much of a hassle for our salespeople. Who wins? Right. You yep. know? And anyway, and countless <laughs> iterations of that sort of conversation. I hear you. All right. So um, so moving on to our, our last story. Uh, this Actually, we, we intended to cover this last, uh, last show, but ran out of time. The FFIC uh, in the U.S., uh, they're a, they're the bank, major banking regulators, actually a conglomeration of regulators. So it's the FDIC, the NCUA, uh, the OCC, the um, uh, F, uh, Federal Reserve Board, and a couple of other agencies. And, uh, and so they collectively comprise this, uh, this FFIC function. And the FFIC released this past week, and, and by the way, they... I think for a long time, uh, I've personally been exposed to them. I think for a long time, they have probably been one of the, uh, in my view at least, maybe I'm I'm, uh, being overly generous, I suppose, I don't know. But I think they've for a long time held a much more risk-focused view rather than a, um, a control check-in-the-box kind of view. So, so that was that was good, and I, I think that naturally has lended itself to more more tight controls at banks than you see in other in other industries. I'm not saying that banks are great, just saying that they're better than a lot of other industries. Now, uh, now what's new? The FFIC released what they call their cybersecurity assessment tool, or the CAT, uh, and and so this is a tool that banks or financial institutions that are regulated by the FFIC are, uh, are are apparently supposed to start using to uh, both judge their inherent risk and the level of maturity of their uh, their controls and their governance and kind of smash those together and figure out are they mature enough for the level of risk that they carry and on the surface, that seems like a very, very sensible thing. But there's some really odd things about this that just, you know. So I'll give you a couple of examples. And again, I think that in concept, this is a great, a great thing. Now, it, by the way, as I understand it, much of this, uh, this tool, and it's not really a tool; it's a PDF, right? It's Yeah, yeah, let's be clear. There is actually no actual scanner. There's no executable. There's no, you know. (laughs) It's a process. Yeah, and and process is in in that loose term. Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, they have this inherent risk profile grid, and we'll we'll have a link to the program in the show notes. And uh, you can kind of visualize it. Going down the left, you have the categories or types of technologies. And then kind of across the columns, you have your least through most level of risk 
And what's what's really unique about this is, especially in context of other guidance that the F, I've seen the FFIC release before, again, which I think has been very good, um, this is very specific. You know, the, the things that make you least versus most are very specific. For instance, uh, the total number of internet service provider connections is one of the risk items. And the least risk is no connections. And the most risk is, you know, they call it substantial, substantial co- complexity over 200 connections. And then there's a minimal, moderate, and significant that fall between 1 and 200 connections. Can I nitpick for just a moment? Sure. So if I have one internet connection and it goes down... As opposed to two internet connections that I can fail over between. Well, Didn't I just decrease my risk? Is that one or two, though? Uh, two, because I've got two different ISPs that I'm load balancing my traffic with via BGP. <laughs> but, but, but logically, is that one or two? Uh, two? No. I think I, I say one. I, See, this is the com- problem. Because it's coming into the same point? Yes. Ah, so you're counting egress points regardless of the ISP connections. Well, or or ingress points through different, you know, different. So if I were load balancing across twenty different ISPs, because I'm just crazy like that, I would consider that one because it's one controlled input output point. That's my. That's how I would view it. Yes. Yeah. Well, t- t- that's just your opinion, sir. That's like that's like your opinion. <laughs> well, it is. You're right. Um, so 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 there's that. Uh, bad attempt at quoting the Big Lebowski, by the way. Yeah, bad being the operative word there. <sighs> so, um, yeah, so so there's some other... Wait, not done sighing. You can continue your story once I'm done sighing right, at you. Go, go ahead, go ahead. <sighs> All right, there we go. Glad you got that out of the way. So uh, uh, some of the other things, I think, do make really good sense. Like one of them is uh, end-of-life systems. Yes, I completely. We just talked about that a second ago on Patrick. I, I think this is. I think that one is a really, you know, it's a very good one. The one below it really left me scratching my head. You know, it's so it's open source software. Least least risk is no open source software. Uh, minimal risk is limited open source software and none that support critical operations. Moderate risk is. So uh, what we know now is Richard Solomon's going to be protesting outside <laughs> of the FFIEC. Uh, they they must be. Yeah, so so you know goes I, on it goes, right? I can't get on board with that. I, I cannot say that open source software is inherently risky. But you know, I started thinking about this. Okay, at what level are we what level are we thinking about this? So when for example, we we had Heartbleed and Shellshock, right, which were against Bash or, or against OpenSSL and, and Bash, respectively, both open source pieces of technology. How many commercial products were impacted, right? So, yeah. what are we talking about? Well, okay, but let's be let's be clear. When we're saying open source technology, do we mean components of part of a commercial package? Do we mean independent, completely open source? Right, you know, packages that are being run on their own. I, are we running our business I, on MediaWiki? I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I, I guess know. the question is, what is it about open source that they're finding risky? Is I would like to understand. So, I am no, by the way, open source fanboy. In fact, I think in many ways, rightly or wrongly, corporations are better off going commercial off the shelf for a support and life cycle and ability to hire people with that skill set and a whole bunch of reasons that make sense for most companies to go commercial off the shelf off the shelf. Um, you know, enterprise level management, stuff like that. I'm not saying across the board, but I'm saying in general I lean away from open source in the enterprise for those reasons. However, I don't think of open source as inherently more risky. And I would love to know why they think it is. You know, I, I, I've played this out in my mind, and I would love to really, under, like you said, understand what what was going on in their mind when they included that. Which, I, by the way, I'm sure this was the product of a lot of del- deliberation. I can't imagine that it just, you know, was some person, you know, crapped this thing out. They're they're not they're much more deliberative than that. Um, one of the things I was thinking is, well, you know, are they talking about like open source that's not supported? You know, but a lot of open source, like Linux, okay, just pick on Linux, right? 
many companies, many, 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 many companies run their critical infrastructure on like Red Hat Linux. Is that I, open source? Can I interrupt you? Go ahead. I just did a quick Google search and I found a press release from the FFIEC from October 24th, 21st, 2004, mind you, 11 years ago. Okay. Okay. But just, I want to read this. The FFIC today published guidance for examiners, financial institutions, and technology providers on the acquisition of use of free and open source software. Free and open source software refers to software that users are allowed to run, study, modify, and redistribute without paying a license fee. Some of the most well-known examples are uh, FOSS or Linux, Apache, MySQL, blah, blah, blah. The use of FOSS is increasing within the mainstream information technology and financial services industries. The agencies are of the opinion that the use of free and open source software does not pose risks that are fundamentally different from risks presented by proprietary or self-developed software. However, the acquisition use of FOSS necessitates implementation of unique risk management practices. Yeah. But that's I, not fundamentally different than commercial software. I mean, you should, I, you should be considering the risk of whatever software you are you happen to be using and and so i guess what 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 gets under my skin is there is no corresponding line that says you know use of commercial software or you know uh so anyway i i guess one of the things that bothers me most is how do you answer the question right you know is 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 it is it that you use um you know your uh your main banking application or business application runs on top of Linux. Well, that's open source. So, you know, but, but you have it, you know, but it's comes from a commercial provider. You have, you know, you've got support for it. So how is that different than if you were to run it on top of windows? I just, I, I'm having a real hard time coming up with a distinction. I have trouble too. And, and I, so in theory, this cyber risk assessment tool is going to go into action next year. So for those who are covered by the FFIEC, this is coming. So they walk into a financial institution and they see you running a crapload of Apache servers running on Linux. They're going to make you. They're going to ding you on that. Well, so let's put it in context, right? So this is. I don't. There isn't a. There isn't like a a wrong answer on any one of these things. It's it's kind of a cumulative total, and and I, I one of the things I don't like necessarily about this having gone gotten really big into statistics and risk assessments and you know quantitative things you know they're they're basically you you basically go through this big list of of uh risk items and you pick based on where you're at from low to medium or from low to least to most sorry across each one of these and you total it up at the bottom and you, you know you say well I've got five Least and four moderates, and you know, and then you'll then you say, well, I've got a lot more moderates than I have anything else, so I must be moderate, and that's my that's my inherent risk. And and then you have the other side, which is the uh, the maturity scale, and uh, and and the maturity scale, by the way, is a very expansive part of the document because it has uh, a, quite a few different. Uh, measurement domains and each one of those domains you have to register you have to write yourself from uh, you know from I forget the scale right now but from uh, effectively from least mature actually they call it baseline through innovative and so that all of the scales I'll just read through is baseline evolving intermediate advanced and innovative and uh, you know they kind of have obvious connotations but again like the inherent risk they have some pretty specific statements about what comprises each level of maturity which again i kind of like that you know from the perspective that it takes some of the subjectivity out of the equation um and then you 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 effectively go through and you figure out are you across all these different domains are you you know innovative uh, you know, or, or baseline, or where where do you fall in that continuum? And then you effectively add it all up, and you then compare yourself uh, your inherent risk aggregate score versus your 
maturity aggregate score, and they have a handy little heat map table that kind of shows that your aggregate risk or your inherent risk and your uh, maturity kind of need to be in parity, right? So you, if you have uh, very little risk, as an example, right? If you have if you have the least amount of risk, you 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 need to be um, you can effectively be baseline, right? Or if you are uh, the most, if you have the most inherent risk, then you need to be on the innovative maturity side, which again conceptually makes a ton of sense, right? I, one of the concerns I have is they've done a great job of, uh, of uh, like we, uh, with the caveat that some of the questions are a little odd, like the open source one, but they've done a great job of making these things more objective, right? So you kind of answer yes or no, uh, but then you kind of add it up. <laughs> and, um, you know, if, if anybody wants to know why that's a problem, I have a couple of good books I can point you to. Uh, it's not a great idea to add it up like that. Um, but, but nonetheless, this is coming. But nonetheless, it is coming, absolutely. Um, so rightly or wrongly, people are going to start getting measured against this. Yes, yes. And so, you know, m- maybe some of the more mature organizations will, you know, will kind of point out that there's better ways to do this, maybe. Um, but again, uh, you know, I'm not... Yeah, it could evolve. I'm not, right? I'm not throwing... I don't want to throw rocks at it because, again, I think, uh, you know, they're... They're trying to, they're trying to advance the state of the art, um, and I and I can't I can't fault them for that. Yeah, and I, you know I would say too that even if you're not in the banking industry, this is probably worth taking a look at, and just sort of getting your mind around what they're saying and seeing how it might apply to your organization. Actually, I think um, I think especially the maturity scale. Uh, if nothing else, the maturity scale is a fantastic kind of roadmap for, I I would think for all organizations to take a look at and see, you know, in the vein of, you know, the security frameworks and and whatnot, I think it's a great, you know, great thing to just read through and, um, you know, kind of figure out if it makes sense for you, right. To, 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 uh, you know, to assess, right. Okay. Here, here are some opportunities, uh, and maybe it'll maybe it'll jog some some uh, you know some brain cells that haven't been firing right. But uh, anyway, I, I I think overall it makes a lot of sense. There are a couple of rough spots that I um, I'm not a big fan of, but I think um, you know I th- I'm sure it'll it'll evolve over time. And you know, hey, maybe uh, maybe they'll they'll hear this and you know I don't know. But it is interesting, right? It's one more framework, especially. Uh, one that actually is fairly influential, so we'll see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one thing I, I didn't neglect to mention up front is that apparently this was built based off of an audit they did with, um, I think it was 500? It was, it, was it was a fairly large number of community banks. They went, the FFIC went out and did a, uh, you know, a canvas and, and uh, you know, kind of tried to figure out what kinds of risks they had, and they used that to inform this program. So I, I, I suspect, uh, I strongly suspect at least, that when you look at some of those inherent risk questions, it probably maps pretty closely back to uh, their experience at those community banks, which are probably smaller, you know, smaller institutions. Yeah, that is one thing we had talked about off off the air, which is that this feels like it's it's pointed at relatively small organizations. You know, there's a whole aspect of going to the CEO and talking about all this stuff and get an assessment and, and you know, the, the highest number of connections was, what, like 20? Uh, yeah, was it 20? It was, um, it was a relatively low. I think it was yeah, 200, 200. Yeah, 200, right. And if you're a big multinational, you're going to laugh at, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, Yeah, if you're Bank of uh, America, you're going to have... yeah. You can have a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. I have two hundred coming to my desktop. I don't know, it's, but uh, it definitely felt like it's geared towards a small organization. Now there isn't valid things that can be learned from it, but it, you know, you're not going to get your board of directors to stop what they're doing to come play assessment with you if you're at any sized organization. But at the same time, I do think that the output of this will be 
um, will be of interest to them, to the board. Yeah. Right. Uh, particularly if you say that, hey, you know, this is something that the FFIC cares about and we're, you know, we're, we're kind of disjoint. Absolutely. Like if you are governed by the FFIC, certainly they will care. Um, you know, but if you're, if you're Bob's budget bait and dialing shop, no. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, that is the show for this week. Uh, anything else you wanted to cover? No, I think, uh, you know, more will be said. I think, uh, this week we'll see some more developments in the hacking team stuff. Wondering what else is to be found, how many other zero days they were sitting on. It'll be interesting to know. Absolutely. Um, I do want to say thank you very much to our Patreon donors. You guys rock. If you anyone is interested in throwing a couple of bucks at us to support the show, this is purely unsponsored, uh, supported as a labor of love from Jerry and I. If you would like to help offset some of those costs, uh, we have a Patreon site. You're more than welcome to to go throw a couple dollars at it, and we will be incredibly appreciative. And we have a little special thank you that we need to get out to our Patreon donors that we never promised this. They didn't ask for it. This is just something we did, and uh, we got to get that rolling. So, yes. um, and, and something I think we'll have at, at DerbyCon as well for fans of the show. Um, let's see what else. Uh, High Tech Crime Investigation Conference is coming up. Right? Are yep. you still going? I intend to. It's uh, August 30th through September 2nd in Orlando, Florida. HTCIAconference.org. I have to go to Michigan to be in a family portrait that weekend. Really? Don't ask. It just it is what it is. But we will be at DerbyCon. We will. Absolutely. DerbyCon together. is booked. and Well, not together together. I mean, like well, yeah. I mean, it's... Podcast at the co-hosts. same same place at the same time. I mean, I know it's legal in every state now, but come on, our our significant others should at least be informed before we tell the world. Well, you know, you heard uh-huh. it here first. <laughs> this is how rumors start. <laughs> uh, what else? Um, I'm blanking. I think that's it. All right, and uh, just a just a reminder that you can find the link to the Patreon campaign from our website. Uh, www.defensivesecurity.org and uh, you can also find show notes and old episodes and all sorts of other stuff. You can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Callett on Twitter at Lurg and me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And uh, with that, we'll talk again next week with some more, uh, I'm sure, probably more Flash Zero Days. (laughs) I can, have a great, I can only assume. Yeah, you're probably a safe bet. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening. Take care. Bye. Go get I'm, your- try- I'm trying to give you good fodder for the outtakes, yeah. which apparently are the favorite part of the show. That's true. Everybody just it, zips right to the end. And there's another outtake for you. you just, it's a meta outtake. Outtake inception. All right. <laughs> What's squeaking? Something squeaking. It's my there? goddamn chair. Let me see if okay. I can find a different chair. Uh, all the other ones are worse. <laughs> I'll just sit very still. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye bye. 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 Bye bye.